Sometimes you need someone to be around you Someone to sit down and pour your short chew But sometimes saying goodbye to familiar folks is the only way Sometimes that's when you finally find your space Welcome to the Japan Distilled Podcast. We are very glad that you joined us today. I am your host, Christopher Pellegrini, recording in my booze closet in Tokyo. And with me, beaming in from Fukuoka, is my co-host, Stephen Lineman. We are both certified shochu and awamori professionals. We're published authors, and we generally prefer to drink our sugar and not the type of beverage you're thinking of, probably. We've been exploring the wonderful world of Japanese spirits for more than a decade and are very excited to share them with you through this podcast. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Christopher. And I'm excited to talk about Kokuto Shochu because it is summer. <laughs> We've got all the heat and humidity and a nice refreshing island drink is, is what I need right now. It's a, it's a perfect timing for this episode. Going to be coming out, what, this one's going to be dropping at the end of june i guess probably middle middle of june okay so good timing good drinks time for a good episode let's get started do you remember the first kokuto shochu you ever tried i'm not sure i know that that it was one of two okay uh, because they both have memorable packaging uh there's vento which comes in a blue bottle and that ice blue bottle is just hard to forget especially when you find it in an izakaya in new york city uh, but the other that has quite a memorable label is Jogo because it has a big toucan on the label. And so I know it was one of those. I don't remember which one. And both of those are available in the U.S. Exactly. Yeah. So you, your first one was in the U.S. That's right. Yep. It was at Izakaya 10, now called Juban. I remember that much because those were the two that were on the menu there. And that's where I discovered most of my shochu uh, early on. Um, but how about you? Do you remember your first Kokuto? I do not. I really don't. It was many a moon ago, and it was kind of foisted upon me before I knew anything about shochu. So I didn't really know what I was drinking. Mm -hmm. And it could have been explained to me, but I wouldn't have remembered it was so long ago. Gotcha. But just for all of you keeping score at home, this is the fourth in a series of the predominant styles of honkaku or authentic shochu in Japan. The first three episodes were on rice, barley, and sweet potato shochu, the three styles that basically represent around 95, 96, 97% of the domestic shochu and awamori market. Today, we're going to tackle kokuto shochu, which is made exclusively in the Amami Islands, which are a part of Kagoshima Prefecture. Before we dive in, of course, if you have been enjoying the show, please tell like-minded drinks fans around the world so that they can find the show and enjoy it themselves. And as always, ratings and reviews. Ratings and reviews are very much appreciated and help other people to find the show. Absolutely. I do keep an eye on our reviews on iTunes, and they're steadily growing. And that's fantastic. And the comments that we get on our Twitter, Instagram, Facebook are great. It's really nice to hear from people. The private messages, we're keeping a list of all those recommended uh, topics. We want to sort of plow through all of the essentially uh, foundational episodes to get you up to speed with the big picture. And then we're going to start going really deep into all of the myriad things involved in these drinks and all of these unique spirits here in Japan. 
So if you're listening to this episode right now, then why don't you head over to Twitter or head over to Instagram or Facebook, find us at Japan Distilled and drop us a note about which kokuto shochu you, you drank last or have tried recently and the serving style. How did you try it? Where did you try it? We'd love to know. We we're definitely keeping track of all of these things as well. So fill us in, let us know and start the conversation. We'll definitely take part. Without further ado, let's get into the whole kokuto shochu show. And kokuto shochu, kokuto shochu actually shares something very specific with both rice shochu and iki barley shochu, the style that is made on Iki Island in Nagasaki Prefecture. And that is the fact that the primary fermentation has to be made with rice. Has to be, it's decided. That's right. And I guess let's take a step back. As you think about alcohol traditions and making alcohol, it's believed that the earliest alcohols were fruit wines, essentially. Because somebody somewhere realized that if you fermented fruits, you would get alcohol and you could get a nice buzz on. And so the earliest alcohols were fruit wines because those are the easiest to make, right? To make a wine, all you need is grapes and feet, right? Because you need the yeast on your feet to get the grape sugars to start to turn into alcohol, right? It's all about that yeast converting sugars to alcohol. And you need sugar and you need yeast to make alcohol. And so when you've got a sugar base, you don't really need to do anything to break down complex carbohydrates, starches, as is done for beer brewing or whiskey making or for most shochu making. Right. So with kokuto, it's a sugar. It certainly is. <laughs> That's right. It's a sugar. So we've got a sugar base. And so in a sense, why is the primary fermentation made with rice compared to uh, just using the sugar. Well, I guess there are at least a few different reasons. One being that back when they decided that the kokuto spirit was going to be classified as a shochu, it had to involve koji somehow. Mm -hmm. And that's where the rice starter fermentation was solidified. Another reason is that two birds, one stone, you help to separate it or delineate it or differentiate it from rum traditions. But, you know, also the Koji rice fermentation itself adds umami and even more sugar because koji is so efficient at sacrificing starch chains that you're actually getting a higher alcohol yield by using it. So there's a there are a myriad reasons why you would do that. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a great explanation. And when it comes to rum, obviously one of the earlier spirits traditions, actually for a long time, people thought that rum started in the Caribbean as all part of the sugar plantations and the slave trade and all that dark history. Mm -hmm. uh, but more recent research has suggested that rum production was actually probably may have started in India far, far earlier than anybody expected. It might've been like the 1200s or 1300s actually, because sugar plant, sugar growing had, had uh, migrated from Polynesia into India and they were making rum in India that long ago. So the earliest rums may actually be Indian rum. No kidding. Yeah. I learned that actually through the absolutely wonderful Life Behind Bars podcast ah, with Noah, David. Noah Rothbaum and uh, David Wondrich. Yeah. Right. If, if you really want to deep dive into the history of rum, go find that episode. We'll put it in the show notes. It's a fascinating discussion between those two masters of drinks history. So really, really uh, cool episode there. Mm. 
But rum production essentially at this point is happening all around the world. Any place that sugarcane is cultivated, you have the waste byproduct of molasses, and that's being converted into rum most of the time. Now, that's a, that's another nuance is that cocoto is not a byproduct. Cocoto is the product. So cocoto shochu is being made from a very high quality sugar, as opposed to many rums, which are often made with byproduct. Right now, rums are wonderful. Go back and listen to our rum episode. Uh, it's just it's one of my favorite drinks outside of. Uh, these koji spirits. But in Japan, sugar cultivation started with Okinawa and or the Ryukyu Kingdom, as we talked about previously. And part of the Ryukyu Kingdom early on was the Amami Islands. And that uh, obviously, as Christopher mentioned before, that is where Kokuto Shochu is made today. And in the early 1600s, the Satsuma Domain invaded Ryukyu and the first place they landed was in Amami because it was the closest to, to Satsuma, to the Satsuma domain. And when they captured Amami, they essentially turned the islands into a sugar plantation. They basically said, nope, these islands are ours. This is where we're going to grow our sugar. We're going to make ourselves a fortune because sugar was a, a, a really, really valuable commodity at that time mm -hmm. in history. And then they sailed on south and they they basically took the UQ kingdom without a shot because they just showed up. You've got all these samurai sailing in with their heavy armor and everything. And the UQ king and his, his vassals were like, yeah, we don't want to fight. Uh, Uncle. Yeah, basically. And, and so the Satsuma domain, they didn't really want to control the thousand square kilometers of ocean of the UQ kingdom with all of the outlying islands and all of the rebellion that might be fomented. So they told the king, look, you keep being king, keep doing your thing, just pay us tribute. But we're going to keep Amami. So the Amami Islands basically became a slave plantation for several hundred years. And that's actually so similar to the Caribbean rum traditions, if you think about it, sure. right? Yeah, it is. And so it's just really interesting that, that uh, similarity, even though we're on opposite sides of the world. So Christopher, maybe can you tell us about how kokuto is made? Like what's what's so specific about this sugar source? Okay, yeah, that's a yeah, that's a great idea. So kokuto sugar, and kokuto is spelled K-O-K-U-T-O. Kokuto sugar is a very lightly, nearly unrefined type of sugar that is made as, as we've already expressed in the Amami Islands, also in Okinawa, sometimes in other parts of the world as well. And when I say it's lightly refined, what that means is very little molasses is pulled out of the sugar as it's solidifying. Now, you may, I'm sure a lot of listeners cook with brown sugar at home. It's a granular, kind of tan colored, not particularly dark brown sugar. And that's actually a hyper refined sugar product that has had molasses added back to it after the fact. So it's stripped all the way down until it's just white sugar molecules. And then it's had some character added back to it through the addition of molasses. Now, kokuto sugar is not really refined much at all, meaning it keeps all of that flavor and all of that minerality and all of that grassiness and all of that depth of flavor and aroma right from the start. And it's allowed to cool into large uh, chunks, large blocks, and then it's sliced into easy to dump, almost like sheets. 
and boxed in cardboard or put inside of a, a paper bag inside a cardboard and then shipped off to distilleries. And Cocteau sugar is used in a bunch of distilleries down in Amami, more than two dozen. And it's usually added to the secondary and or tertiary fermentation. What it adds is obviously a sweetness, but it's also got, as I said before, that a really strong minerality and earthy notes. Sometimes you also get into slightly more fruity. You get some uh, pear and some apple, but then you can get more tropical like passion fruit and there can be pineapple notes and it's a really fascinating and some would say kind of healthy in many respects type of dark sugar, high quality premium dark sugar. Thank you for that explanation of Kokuto. I've seen it made, but it seems like you've gotten quite a big bit deeper on, on the production uh, for the sugar. But it, you're right, it's a delicious uh, food stuff. It's in, a, in Japan, you can buy Kokuto sugar as a snack. There are all sorts of snacks made with cocoa sugar to add sweetness to it right can't candied nuts and and things like that those are so good they are they're so good and and then you can cook with it right it ends up in a lot of dishes and it, you get you know really nice sweetness and you know that you're in a really really good restaurant when you're sweet and sour pork right you go into a chinese restaurant here in japan which is nothing like chinese restaurants in america American chinese food is one thing <laughs> japanese chinese restaurants are something else entirely but if you get go into a restaurant and you see on the menu, it says that the sweet and sour pork is made with kokuto sugar and kudozu or black vinegar, you are about to bite into heaven. It is so rich and so umami and this, the sourness of the kudozu or black vinegar is so rich. It's just an, an unbelievable uh, meal when you can find that. And some places do that. Now, this is using a really high quality premium sugar and a really high quality premium vinegar to cook what hopefully is a very high quality piece of piece of pork. Uh, but sorry, I digress. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, the Kokuto shochu production is done, as we've said before, your primary fermentation is rice. And I am curious why only rice is allowed for that. Why couldn't you use barley as is sometimes done in others? And my suspicion, this is just off the cuff, but my suspicion is that that has to do with differentiating it from some of the uh, Southeast Asian Iraq, mm. which I think is made with sometimes like red rice or different kinds of uh, rice bases or, or grain bases and some sort of fruit or sugar. And that's just an entirely different category of, of spirits. And I guess to maintain it being shochu, they said, all right, made from sugar, uh, I'm sorry, made from cocoa sugar, made from rice koji fermentation, add the sugar. And when they, they do this, they actually melt the sugar down, right? So as Christopher said, they come in big blocks. We'll post pictures in the show notes of what these blocks of sugar look like. And these are melted down before that melted sugar is put into the secondary fermentation along with that kojified rice from the first fermentation. Right. And then because you've got sugar going in, the yeasts can get right to work on that. The koji really doesn't have much of a job in the second fermentation other than to continue to break down the rice that's in the fermentation, whatever residual rice is left, and adding that umami character, of course. But the, the fermentations are relatively short because of that, because the yeast can get right to work in a hurry. Mm -hmm. Then, unlike sweet potato, where almost all of the shochu made is atmospheric distilled, in Kokuto, you have a pretty good balance of vacuum and atmospheric 
where I feel like rice and barley gravitate more toward vacuum mm -hmm. and sweet potato much more toward atmospheric. Kokodo seems to have a pretty good balance between the two. Yeah. And then once you've distilled, then you age. And again, it's the same aging methods that you usually see in the other traditions, except I think mostly it seems to be the enamel lined tanks or oak casks. I don't really see a lot of uh, clay pot aged kokodo shochu. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's re yeah, I think you're right. The smaller makers won't have the space for it. And the larger makers just tend to make so much of it that mostly it's the steel tanks, but I guess they'll have a few kame in the, in the storage rooms as well, just for fun. But you're right. It's not, mm -hmm. not nearly as common as you find in other traditions. Mm -hmm. So Amami Shochu, Amami Kokuto Shochu, it's actually a GI or a geographical indication in Japan. It's a domestic GI protected by the Japanese government. What that means is you cannot make this style of Shochu anywhere else in Japan. Amami is part of Kagoshima Prefecture, but if you go off the Amami Islands into mainland Kagoshima it, and you make the same thing, it's not Kokuto Shochu anymore. It would just have to be labeled a, a Kokuto spirit. It'd be a different tax regime. So it's a protected designation domestically. And hopefully that becomes a protected designation internationally. I have no idea whether or not they've applied for that yet. But it is made, as I said before, by more than two dozen. It's like 28, 27, 28 distilleries across, I think, five islands. And the main island is Oshima, and that's where the majority of the makers are. But the, the outerlying islands also have between two and well between one and maybe as many as seven each so it's a it's a good local tradition down there amami's not particularly large in terms of the geographic area that it covers but there's plenty of shochu being made and it's pretty much all kokuto shochu as well as some rum we talked about one rum made down made down in the um down on tokunoshima which you can you can find in a, our episode about rum that steven mentioned earlier and yeah, I guess that's pretty much it. I, I mean, when you think of Kokuto Shochu, Stephen, what, what comes to mind? What, what experiences, feelings describe the joy? <laughs> sure. Well, for me, it wasn't a joy at first. Okay. This was probably the, the Shochu style that was the most difficult for me to wrap my head around hmm. because I've been drinking rum for a long time. Growing up in Florida, university days, you know, out at the beach, whatever, rum was just something we drank. Okay. And so when I first tried a Kokuto Shochu, again, knowing nothing about the style and just having discovered Shochu, I was like, well, this is just a light rum. What's, what's the point of the rice, right? I just sort of, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And as much as I've grown to appreciate both Lento and Jogo, they're very light, easy drinking styles. Yes, it yeah. wasn't until I came to Japan and was able to try some of the richer, probably more traditional styles that I realized, whoa, this is a very interesting drink in its own right. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really get the Kokuto Shochu bug, and now I love it, but I didn't get that bug until I actually visited Amami. I was on a Jetro uh, junket, basically. Jetro is a Japanese external trade organization, and they invited me and several Japanese sommelier down to Amami. And for two days, we sat in a hotel conference room and we blind tasted Kokuto Shochu. I think like 30 or 35 brands with the makers. 
And this was the first time the makers had ever been given tasting notes on their drinks. Hmm. And it was a fascinating experience because in those 35 drinks, I could taste a difference in each and every one of them. And there was, it was such a wild spectrum. It was completely unexpected. And both meeting the people, visiting some distilleries, and then having that experience, I've just, I've really fallen in love with Kokuto Shochu. And there are qualities to it that are reminiscent of rum, but it's absolutely its own thing. And I think they can coexist peacefully. Yeah, I, I think so too. It, it's obviously a good entry point for rum lovers. If you want to get into shochu, then absolutely try Kokuto Shochu as your starting point. The brands that are available internationally to this point are pretty light, as Stephen said. They tend to be vacuum distilled and they tend to be very lightly fruity and or tropical along with the clear Kokuto notes. But there's more fun stuff coming, I believe, in the very near future that's going to be a bit deeper, a bit richer, a bit darker even in terms of not necessarily the color of the spirit, although that may be true as well if the if it's cascade, but just in terms of the the depth of the the flavors and how the kokuto it is a really really dark sugar and that even though it's a clear spirit usually you get that dark sugar feeling from it it's molasses it's sometimes it's caramel sometimes it's almost like a treacle it's really rich and satisfying and umami all over the place so I think it, there's a lot to explore here. And yeah, Stephen, your, your example of just blind tasting, thir- you know, three dozen of these things side by side is a clear indication, a, a easy way to show people that, yes, they're all made with the same ingredients, but they express incredibly differently depending on the decisions that the individual distillery makes based on the brand that they're trying to produce. So um, if, if we're going to, let's talk service styles a little bit. What's your preference or what would you advise people who are trying Kokuto Shochu for the first time? How should they drink it? I guess for the Kokuto that's available overseas, most of it's going to play really, really well with bubbles, Mm. you know, with soda. And now there are exceptions to that, I think. uh, But for the most part, they will. I think rocks is a really easy way to drink them. But Some of the kokuto here in Japan, the really rich stuff that you're talking about, that's great oyuade, right? Or even as a straight sipper, it's just so rich. It's just really nice to get those those deep flavors and not not, uh, mute them with the ice Mm -hmm. or with any chill or even accentuate them with the heat. So that's that's also nice, I think. The, the, The funny service style that I actually get a kick out of is... Our friend Nori, who has a shochu bar down in Kumamoto, he visited the makers of Rento and he asked the toji, he said, how do you drink Rento? And the toji said, hoppide, which means with hoppy. <laughs> and, and hoppy is a post-war relic. This is a basically NA beer is made by a Tokyo confectionery company as a beer substitute. And you would put korui shochu, which was one of the cheapest distilled alcohols available, but it doesn't taste good at all. It's essentially ethanol. And you mixed it with this beer-like substitute and it gave you like a beer. And beer tax was much higher than Koroi Shochu tax. So hmm. people could have their beer and save money basically yeah. with hoppy. People and still even today, yeah. they do. They do. I actually really like that when I go to Tokyo because it's, it's hard to find down in Kyushu. I never thought about that, but I think you're right. I've ne- I have not seen it very often in Kyushu. 
And so when I'm in Tokyo, if I see a, a hoppy sign outside of an izakaya and I've got a few minutes to kill, I'll just pop in and have a you know little snack and a, and a hoppy. But I, I always confuse the, the staff when I ask for honkaku shochu because <laughs> they're, they're used to making it with koroi shochu. Yeah. And, and I like hoppy with uh, barley shochu for the standard, which is the yellow label hoppy, but they have hoppy black, which is a roasted malt. Mm. And that with kokuto shochu is so good. So it's the hoppy, it's the black label with kokuto shochu, especially lento. Yeah. Well, actually, I do it with any kokuto shochu. I'll, I'll take hoppy black, but I think the toji just meant the standard hoppy. Okay. With lento. Uh, but that was just a, uh, funny to me that, that there was actually a toji. He makes the drink and he's recommending mixing it with a NA beer. <laughs> that's hilarious. I love that. That's, that's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I, as you know, I try a lot of stuff, Oyuari or with hot water, but I tend to, I'll nose it first and make sure that it's not, I don't know. There's something that I'm quite sensitive to and some people get it and other people don't, but I tend to notice occasionally a, a light soapiness on, on some vacuum distilled products. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's an astringency from from something in the aging process, or if it's just something that, you know, we've noticed this all the time with shochu and awamori, that sometimes these, these spirits do actually need to decant a little bit. It can dissipate over time. But I, if I smell that, if I notice it, then I won't put it any hot water in it. That's just my MO anyway. But uh, let's talk brands. I mean, you, you were talking about Jogo before. How would you characterize Jogo generally? Jogo is just a tropical fruit bomb. Okay. When I first tried it blind, I mean, I had had it many times in Izakaya in the States, but when I had it blind with the makers, it just expressed so much tropical fruit. It was, it was, it was a revelation. Mm -hmm. It really, really was just tropical fruit all over the place. Yeah. And since that experience, I've never been able to taste it blind and not know exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. You remember on one of our show Tuesdays, yeah. I guessed what it was when it was one of the samples that Maya had sent us. And it was in my Tokyo Whiskey and Spirits competition, blind tasting. And I knew as soon as I tasted it what it is. And it's just such a well-made drink. You have to accept it on its own terms, right? It is not complex. It is straightforward, but it's delicious. It's a really, really uh, nice shochu. Hmm. How about you? You have any... Uh, brands that you lean toward? I I guess what's on my mind right now is just something that I've spent a lot of study hours on, and it's just the barrel aging practices of a lot of shoju makers these days and awamori makers. And I'm just trying to figure out who's doing it well, who, ne who needs to find younger casks and who needs better cask maintenance overall. And in that light, there's a a bunch of popular brands these days and kokuto shochu that is aged in in repurposed whiskey or sherry casks maybe not sherry so often but old old casks or sometimes even virgin casks or new casks made in japan what was the one that just won uh the one that won the tokyo whiskey and spirits competition last year was made by machida right was that last year yeah, Sato no, no Akebono, the, the gold. And that one won the competition last year. And then this year, another Kokuto won, right? That's right. It was uh, Beni Sango, which uh, it's a barrel-aged uh, 
genshu, so undiluted uh, kokuto shochu. And that was in my flight, and it was the single highest score I awarded Yeah, in, in the competition. Of course, this was blind. I had no idea what I was drinking, but it was a revelation. Hmm. It really stood out head and shoulders above everything else in the flight and everything else in all the other flights. So it, it, it's a, definitely a well-deserved uh, top prize for Benny Sango this year, for sure. So that's two years in a row, two different barrel-aged kokuto shochu won top prize in the shochu category at the Tokyo Whiskey and Spirits competition. That's, that's kind of remarkable. That is, that is. What would you say is your favorite uh, mm. cocoa? I mean, i put you on the spot. It's only 28 distilleries, right? I know it was hard for us with sweet potato to nail just one, but yeah. how about in cocoa? I, I really enjoy Yamada's uh, Ichiban Bashi. And I think one reason why I always come back to that is because it's so good with hot water. It's good any way you drink it. It's delicious. It's delectable. It's fantastic. But with hot water, it plays so perfectly that I can't stray from, from that particular brand. How about you? Yeah. You know, it's not all that often that we agree on a specific brand as being our favorite, but I would, I would say I agree. I mean, Ichibambashi is essentially a switch hitting all-star who can also pitch. Ah. It's like Shohei Otani if he could bat right. left-handed and right-handed yeah. and didn't strike out. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's really a, a great drink. Now, but everything Yamada makes is is pretty special. True. Right. And so I think uh, he's a great distillery. And then uh, Tomita. Tomita does uh, amazing work. Does really, really amazing things. Pretty small production, uh, but oh, yeah. th- they make some some great Kokuto uh, Shochu as well. I think the brand that really stood out for me of what was in the States, and I'm not sure if it's there anymore, is it was Asahi. Ah, uh, yeah. So it's the same name as the beer, but it's a, it's a, it's a Shochu. And as, as far as the things that ed- ended up going overseas in the time that I was living overseas, that would be the, the standout for me. And I don't have any idea what their distribution is right now in the States or whether or not they ever made it to Europe. Yeah, what happened to that? I, I remember hearing about that. I don't think I ever saw a bottle in the wild in the States, but I do remember hearing that it was available. But I don't think it is anymore. I wonder what happened. Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe the distributor or the importer went belly up or something. They were, I remember in Shigure, in Tribeca, they got this whole new line of shochu, and Asahi was one of them. And and I think everything that that importer must have brought in is what was in in the bar there because I'd never seen any of those brands before. And Asahi was definitely the standout. So that's another one that I, I really enjoy. Gotcha. Um, we're usually sipping on something when we're recording these. Are you sipping on something tonight? Yeah, I got, I've, got a, I've got a little glass of Ichiban Bashi in front of me right now. <laughs> I had a feeling you would, so I'm going to go in a different direction, but I've got to make it. So bear with me. I'll be right back. Oh, no worries. I'll, t- I'll tell a story about um, Asahi since you mentioned it. I went down there with, it was, it was quite fun. It was a, it was essentially a, a double date almost. It was me and my better half. And then my, my wife's uh, friend from her photography class, who is a, a couple generation or two older than us. And it was, we were going back to his, essentially his, or his, his parents' hometown and his grandparents' hometown. And that's Kikai Island, which is one of the small islands off to the east side of the main island in Amami. And there are two distilleries on that island. And 
it just so happened that this couple really wanted to take us to one of them. And I was like, well, I, I can only imagine, I know there are two and I, I know the people that work at both, so this should be fun. So we show up and then of course, at the, our friend was a little disappointed because I already knew the, I knew the Kite, the Kites is the name of the couple that runs the, runs the show there. And they, they just treated us like gold. The whole community, Kikai Island is absolutely precious. They came together to, they were so excited to have people who cared about Shochu visiting the island that they just, you know, we were always taken care of. We were, we were out to dinner. We went to dinner at the, the principal of the local high school's house. Half the town came to join, it seemed like. It was such a fun time. And Kitei-san and the staff at Asahi Distillery were incredibly gracious and incredibly helpful and took us everywhere. They took us out to their fields where they harvest their own sugarcane. They took us to the, the Kokuto production facility, which is essentially a, an open-air, completely organic uh, facility off next to the side of a bunch of sugarcane fields. And then, of course, we got to see everything happening with the distillation and, and the fermentation before. So it was an amazing experience. And I recommend that anybody who has the time when they're down in Amami to scoot on over to Kikai because it's a beautiful area. How's your drink coming along? Oh, good. I finally got it made. And I'm sorry it took a little longer than I expected. But I, yeah, I wanted to do something a little bit different. I knew you'd be drinking Ichibambashi. Oh. And I thought it'd be really, really boring if we were both sipping on the same thing. And so what I actually broke out is Fao. Oh. And this is a 44% alcohol Hanatare. Okay. So Hanatare is what comes off the still first, essentially. And these are most common. I've tasted them most often as sweet potato. Mm -hmm. And I had had uh, rice and barley Hanatare before. But Fao was my first time trying a uh, Kokuto Hanatare. And it has that distinctive, um, like, uh, acetone that you get in Hanatare. Now, acetone is usually a fault in most distilling traditions, but in Hanatare, it's actually expected and it's part of the experience. But what you do with these Hanatare shochu is you actually freeze them like you would a bottle of vodka, and then you pour them over a big ball of ice. And the reason I wanted to make this drink just before uh, we we had a, a little sip was my bottle was freezing, my ice was in the freezer, and I put a cup in the freezer because I wanted it to be ice cold. Because when you pour a Hanatare shochu that's been in the freezer, it's viscous. Yeah. It's it's a really, really interesting experience. And it it just tastes so good. But I think making it so ice cold is part of what makes it drinkable. <laughs> yeah, honestly, because Fao was in Fao was also in my uh, in one of my flights, and I thought it was full of faults. I thought everything was wrong with it. I was like, somebody just messed up. Well, that's so had, had, had they told mm. had they told me right? Had I known this is you know we've talked about this uh, in other contexts, but had I known it was a Hanatare, it changes the game entirely. I would have scored it much higher. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Jeez, but we just learned. Uh, Important lesson there. Where do you keep the Hanatare kids? In the freezer. <laughs> That's important. You can you can take that one to the bank. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't actually been drinking yet. I don't know where that came from. Forgive me. <laughs> Christopher's acting days just came out. <laughs> His voice, voice acting days. <laughs> 
All right. That, well, time for a kampai, I think, if you're ready to go. Absolutely. Yeah. Kampai. Oh, sure, sure. Kampai. This was a fun one. Mm. Um, yeah. Hi- highly recommended Kokudo Shochu. Really, really interesting category. But it, it took, like, for me, it took a while to wrap my head around. And I'm sure other people just getting into Shochu who haven't heard this episode or haven't been to Amami, they may be having the same feelings that uh, it's just a rum knockoff or what do you need the, the rice for? But without the rice, it wouldn't be Kokuto Shochu. That's right. It would be rum. Absolutely. It deserves a ton of respect and it deserves a lot of attention. And hopefully this episode will draw some more eyeballs, taste buds, and livers to the world of Kokuto Shochu. Thank you, Stephen, for your stories and uh, the Dr. Lyman history lesson in the middle because you taught me a couple of things I didn't know before. Nice. And to everyone out there, thank you so much once again for joining us. Uh, if you are interested in learning more about Kokuto Shochu, you'll definitely want to pick up a copy of Stephen's book, The Complete Guide to Japanese Drinks, which has a very nice overview in the Shochu chapter. It's available on Amazon, of course, as well as through your local bookseller. And if it's not, then please ask them to source it. We'd also like to remind you that we now have our weekly Japan Distilled Show Tuesday live streaming on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel simultaneously. That takes place at 10 a.m. in Japan every Wednesday morning, which means wherever you are in the world, if you're on the East Coast of the United States, that's currently a 13-hour difference, meaning it's going to be 9 p.m. on Tuesday night show Tuesday. And, you know, we're doing it for all you folks that are outside of Japan anyway. So that's, that's who we're hoping to reach with that information. And you can find me personally at Chris Pellegrini on Twitter and at Christopher Pellegrini on Instagram. Stephen, where can people find you? You can find me at Japan Distilled on both Twitter and Instagram. Please reach out with any questions or feedback about the show. I'd also like to recommend Christopher's Shochu Handbook, now available exclusively on Amazon. Lots of great information about Kokuto Shochu and other styles. And of course, if you'd like to see any reviews of specific brands, our site, Kampai.us, does have a lot of reviews for export brands. Fantastic. So that's the Kokuto Shochu episode done. And we will be coming back again with another episode very soon. So tune in about twice a month for the freshest content from Japan Distilled. To everyone out there in JD land all around the world, we wish you a very hearty and heartfelt kanpai. Kanpai. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Distilled podcast. This has been Christopher Pellegrini with my co-host Stephen Lyman. Our theme song is Begin Anywhere by the very talented Tomoko Miyata. Audio engineering by the incomparable Rich Pav, who also edits the fantastic Uncanny Japan podcast with Teresa Matsuura. Please give that a listen as well if you're interested in Japanese fables and ghost stories. <laughs>